It's great to be together this morning. I know you're not used to me sitting down while I preach, but this forces me to stay in one location. So as Andrew is streaming this, uh, I can stay within his field of vision. And uh, he had a few complaints a couple Sundays ago when I was uh, walking around. Uh, so, and, and furthermore, if you look in Scripture, most of the time when Jesus was preaching, he was actually sitting down. Uh, he sat in a boat sometimes. He sat on a mountainside, and uh, he went into the synagogue, and then he sat down uh, to teach. And so uh, I guess uh, sitting down is not typically what we're used to, but uh, here I am sitting down, and I'm in the shade today. Um, per the suggestion of some of you, I think the brightness off of my head was uh, affecting you, uh, but this will be a little more comfortable, and uh, hopefully I can share a message that will uh, encourage you. I want to uh, not embarrass, but uh, just say how thankful I am to have our, our friend Juan with us today. Uh, Juan is from uh, Colombia. Uh, he's played basketball here in the United States for a few years. He originally came uh, through Midland College. He knows uh, Jacob uh, through Midland College, and uh, he's come back here, and he's waiting to sign a, a professional contract to play basketball in France. And so him and Andrew have been playing basketball together. Andrew's been taking it pretty easy on him. Uh, but uh, it's, it's really good to have uh, Juan with us. Today, if you don't know who he is, he'll be the only person taller than Mike here in a minute when everybody stands up. Uh, so, great to be together. Uh, great to be able to share God's Word together. As we've been coming together outside, we've been talking about the church deployed. How the church is something that we talk about uh, many times as being a building. Uh, we might say, oh, we're not meeting in the church. We're meeting across the street. And wrong answer. Uh, we are the church. We're meeting across the street from the building where we usually meet, and we're meeting outside, but we're still meeting as the what, Arturo? The church, right? We, we are the church, and so whenever we assemble or come together, then we are the church as it meets together. As we go out in the community this week, we'll still be the church. We just won't be assembled. We'll be out deployed and so it's a little bit easier for me at least to think about our mission in the world as we're not confined to the walls for a few weeks and so hopefully that's been exciting to you to think about over the past few weeks encouraging it's been so to me the first week we gathered together outside we talked about love and how we receive God's love as the church in the body of Christ Last week we talked about, excuse me, it was two weeks ago we talked about grace. Then last week we talked about love. The three specific things we mentioned about love last week is that we know God's love towards us, His church, because He has been with us, He is for us, and then He moves us unto Him, so He moves us a certain direction. And that's where we want to pick, off, pick up this week is how in coming together, there is something very special about our time together that moves us unto Jesus that is even closer to Him. There's something that Jesus did when He set up His church that naturally moves us closer to Him and closer together. 
Somebody once said that the church was God's grand social experiment. Now, that's not stated in Scripture as such, but it is remarkable what the church was able to do in the first century that no other human institution was ever able to accomplish. What the church was able to do in the first century was bring together the poor and the rich, male and female, Jew and Gentile, and unite them together in an institution, yes, but not a human institution, where everyone could say, we are united. Nothing else has ever been able to do that. You've seen countries try to do that. And guess what? It's always like this. But can you imagine living in the first century and being introduced to the church where people of all backgrounds came together and were united. There was nothing else like it. In fact, in the first century, society was very stratified. In fact, I was, I was thinking about this this morning. Tabitha in Acts was the name of a lady who made fine purple clothing. And fine purple clothing in the first century was a way for you to let others know that you were wealthy. The, the closest thing to purple we have this morning is Jake's shirt. And I don't think Jake is communicating that to us. Is that purple, Jake? I, I can't tell from here. It looks like it. Okay, so if you were to wear purple clothing, you would com be communicating to people that I am incredibly wealthy. In fact... The wealthier you were, the thicker the stripes of purple on your garment would be. Can you imagine wearing a white robe and just being able to afford like a little streak of purple? Like, hey, look at that. I got a little line of purple. I'm like a little bit more wealthy than you are, but then in comes old so-and-so and his robe's almost entirely purple. You're like, okay, you win. And that was a way that Romans in the first century communicated their wealth and their status position. Now, on the complete opposite side of things, you had Jews who Jews for centuries had been told not even to sit down for a meal with a Gentile. A Gentile is anyone who's not a Jew. And so for centuries, Jews were told, I want you to just be separate, be apart, and not eat with a Gentile. So just for a moment, imagine growing up in that culture. Jesus dies upon the cross. He resurrects from the dead. Peter is told to preach the good news. 
Peter preaches the good news in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. People respond. Who mainly responded on that first sermon? It was mainly Jews who responded and became Christians for the very first time in Acts chapter 2. But then in Acts chapter 10, and you can read this in your New Testament, Peter was told, go preach to the Gentiles. And Peter was shocked by this. But he goes and he preaches to the Gentiles, in fact, to a household of a man named Cornelius, who was not just a Gentile, but he was a Roman soldier. Cornelius and his whole family responds by being baptized. In fact, they were baptized just like the Jews on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 were baptized. But you know what Peter did that was really scandalous? After that, he sat down and he ate with the Gentiles. This is where if you were a good studio audience, you would all go, <gasps> because that was absolutely out of bounds. And you can see when he comes back to Jerusalem later on in Acts chapter 10, they say, Peter, we heard that you ate with Gentiles. And he said, you're right, I did. And they couldn't believe it. But then he goes on to explain how he did that because Jesus specifically told him to do it. And so for the very first time, what did you have? In the church, Jew and Gentile coming together. That was not Peter's idea. Whose idea was it? That was the Lord's idea. It was the Lord's idea to, in His church, bring together the most culturally opposed people and unite them together. Paul would write later in Galatians, he says, There is no longer Jew nor Gentile, male or female, slave or free, for we are all, what? One in Christ Jesus. I'm going to turn to... Colossians chapter 3 and verse 11 and read what Paul had to say to the church in Colossae in Colossians 3 and verse 11. It's very similar, equally as powerful. Here, where's here? He says, here, in Christ, in the church. There is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Christ is all and he is what? In all. Paul is not arguing in the first century that there was no longer any difference in culture. What he was arguing was that Christ transcends culture and that Christ unites demographic, rich or poor. He unites Jew and Gentile. Christ does not eradicate our differences. He transcends our differences. And then as we come together in the body of Christ, we are united and we use our different backgrounds and our different experiences, our different spheres of influence, 
all for the same purpose so that we can say Christ is all and He is in all. And how does He do that? Imagine being a Roman woman in Colossae. The lady who had helped you give birth was a Jewish Christian and she was your slave. Your young child passed away. And when your young child passed away, your Jewish Christian slave said, I will pray for you. I believe in a God who resurrects the dead. And it just planted back here in your memory. And every dawn on the first day of the week, you knew you could count on your slave to be gone to assemble with her people, the church, and then come back. You never really knew where she went. You never really knew what happened there. You just knew that among all of your household servants, she had an attitude that was different, and she said that she would pray to her strange God for you one day. Finally, your curiosity gets the best of you, and you ask, what is it that you do, and why is it that your life is different? And she says, come with me one day, and I'll introduce you to Jesus. And you decide to go with her. And it's there where she says, in a household of people, that you'll meet Jesus. Your curiosity is piqued. You put on your best garment and make sure it has a thick purple stripe on it so that people will know who you are. And you end up going to a household that has a large atrium inside and you sit down as people begin to come in. You see other people wearing fine garments. You see other people wearing garments that look like they haven't been washed for weeks. You see both slave and free. You see somebody who's obviously from a barbarian background. And you are a bit uncomfortable. Someone rises and introduces the time together. They begin to sing hymns. And then they say, we will meet Jesus together. And you're curious. Let me read for you Mark chapter 14 and verse 25. Mark 14. We'll read a few verses ahead of it so you can get the context of what Jesus says here. This was just before Jesus was going to die. He sat with the twelve... And it says in verse 22 of Mark chapter 14, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to His disciples, saying, Take it, this is My body. Then He took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them. And they all drank from it. This is My blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, He said to them. 
Now, verse 25, listen to what Jesus says. I tell you the truth. I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. What was Jesus talking about? Jesus took bread. He passed it to them. He took a cup. He passed it to them. With the bread, he said, this this represents my body. With the cup, he said, this represents the new covenant in my blood. And they all participated in it together. And he says, I'll not drink this again until I drink it anew with you in the kingdom of God. Do you know what the kingdom of God is? The kingdom of God is the church. And I believe the power behind the message of Jesus was he was saying, I will be with you. My presence will be with you as you gather around this table in the kingdom of God. So as that Roman woman came to assemble for the very first time, she would have met Jesus in this way. As Jew and Gentile, male and female, shared together in the same supper that Jesus shared in. As they remembered His body and as they remembered His blood that was shed upon the cross. That's how Jesus designed the church so that when we come together, we remember who we are and that it doesn't matter how thick our purple stripe is. You catch my drift? Because we're all equal. Yes, we're different. Jonathan's a welder. Bob's a safety inspector. Aaron knows IT. We're all different. But we're equal in the body of Christ. And it's a reminder that Jesus is all and is in all. Can you imagine, and we probably can't, being that Roman lady and being asked to eat with your servant. It's (laughs) mind-blowing. We typically don't have that problem in our culture. Typically. I'll just leave it at that. But it's a reminder of who we are and who dwells within us. You see, this is where every first day of the week we remind ourselves through participation that we have received grace and that we have received love. And then we are reminded what in Scripture? To examine ourselves so that we leave here and do what? Give out grace and give out love. Our sermon this morning is simply titled, The Table That Transforms. 
and we're about done. What we as God's people need to do is make sure that as we come together that this table transforms our table in our home. That's where I believe we sometimes miss the mark. But in the first century, they did not. They often shared food together in a common meal after their assembly. You know, it says in Acts chapter 2 that they broke the bread together. And then it says in Acts chapter 2, this is very early in the church, they were in each other's homes and they shared food together. And I know it's a little difficult for this time and this pandemic, just kind of put the asterisk next to my teaching and, you know, understand what we're going through. I get it, okay? But it's important for us to remember what this should allow us to do. One of the most tremendous blessings of growing up in my house when I was younger is that we always had people from different backgrounds around the table in our home. And my parents, you might be surprised, encouraged me to be quiet and just listen and to learn. And one of the things that I learned growing up is that the table in your home is a place to invite other people who are strangers, make them welcome, and allow them to leave as friends. Regardless of what background, regardless of what ethnicity, regardless of what social status, this table, if we are to understand that we are one in Christ here, will transform who we eat with, who we practice with who we interact with around our own table or in our own sphere of influence. And that's why the church is God's grand social experiment that works when we obey Him as we ought to. Because every first day of the week we are reminded, I'm not better than anyone else. And I'm only living this life and in this body because of the grace and the love that was demonstrated to me on the cross. And so I leave this place reminding myself that I'm not better than anyone else. And so I humbly reach out to anyone and everyone, no matter what they've done, no matter where they've come from. And so we say with Jesus Christ, this is a table, Lord, that transforms us. So as we come together as the church, we then are deployed outwards. We don't come together and participate and say, check that box off for the week and then go on to living my life as I want to. We come together and then we use what we practice as we assemble to have our lives transformed. And so it is then a table where we meet Jesus. We may not be able to hold His hand this morning, but we can remember His body that was broken. We may not be able to see His scars, but we can be reminded 
of His blood that forgives our sins. It is the table that transforms. And so as the church comes together, we are reminded then that around our tables, that around our sphere of influence, we treat others with the same grace and love that we have been shown around the table. And we remember. Differences are not eradicated, but differences are valued. And differences are transcended by the unifying blood of Jesus Christ. And so we are one in Him. I hope this message encourages you. And I hope that you have time to reflect on some of the scriptures that we visited about this morning. And in a moment, we're going to sing a song. And then we are going to commune together. And I hope that whether you choose to participate or not, that you can use this time as reflection for what has been accomplished on the cross and then how it transforms our table in our own home or at our workplace and how we interact with others.